0: But because of the couple of weeks out that we weren't anticipating, we still want to finish up some of this that we've been doing on family life in the Sunday morning services. It's a bit of a reinforcement, really, to the study that Todd and the Legacy Ministry is doing on the Christian home. And so I want to do that this morning. I want to pick up where we left off. I've entitled the series, Let the Wind Blow. And the reason for that, of course, is because the violent winds of the attacks and assaults on the family have been blowing for some time now. The culture is coming after the family because that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to destroy the next generation. And he wants to do it in a variety of ways, and so you you might be most focused quite often on the degradation of morals in society, and while that's certainly um, a grief upon grief, it's also true that what Satan really desires is to deceive the next generation into a false religion. False gospels, false messiahs, false Christs, false prophets, false teachers, This is what Satan wants to do, and of course the destruction of the family opens the door really in so many ways for him to accomplish just that, and yet Christians know the truth. We know this is his goal and his aim. We know that's what the enemy is trying to do, and so we are reinforced in the truth against his schemes and his tactics, Look with me for a moment at Ephesians chapter 6, where we had been last time in the early verses, but if I could, if I could put a sense of urgency into your minds and hearts as grandparents and parents, <clears throat> as young people who are newly married, maybe without children, or young people who are Looking forward to that season of life. If I could put a sense of urgency in you about this matter, it will be important. You notice in Ephesians 6 that just after speaking about relationships that are godly, particularly in the family, the Apostle Paul addresses the intel on the enemy. <clears throat> And in verse 10, he tells us to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It is the strength of God that we need. Far too often, the way Satan gains an inroad is because the people of God become complacent or comfortable about what we must use as our weaponry, our defense. And of course, it's important that Paul opens here with this command to find your strength only in the Lord. How do you do that? You put on his defenses. You put on his armor. Why? Because it's the only way, he says in verse 11, to stand firm against the schemes of the devil the struggle against the schemes that Satan is using against God's people. It isn't against the typical things that come against us in in some physical harm or constraints politically or some military advance or oppression or even even slavery in some parts of the world. It isn't those threats that the Apostle Paul addresses here. What we're to do is to be strong in the might of God against spiritual forces. It's easy for a family to get lulled into thinking that what is most important are the things that uh, we want for our children in the best opportunities and and the best place to live and the safest physical security areas and those kinds of dynamics. Those are natural instincts of a parent and to pursue them is not wrong, but to imagine that they strengthen you against the schemes of Satan is foolish. These are spiritual battles. When some godless group in our society says, we're coming for your children, this is Satan speaking through immoral, wicked, godless culture what Satan is wanting to do, though, is, is not threaten your physical safety merely. That would be nothing, for that is all he can do, Jesus said. What he wants to do is come against the spiritual direction of your family, the mind and heart of your children and grandchildren. He is after them on a spiritual level to deceive them. Rulers come against our children and families, powers come against them, world forces of the darkness that is here, the spiritual forces of wickedness in the supernatural realm. Families are to resist this. We're not to jog around it, we're not to dialogue with it, we are to take up the defense and resist with all the strength of God's might in his defenses. That's what we're called to do. If you notice down in verse 18, he says you're to be engaging in all prayer and petition at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be alert. And not just for a season, but persevere all the way. Do it with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, all of Christian families, everyone in the assembly, all of the church. I told you that at the beginning of this series that there were urgencies that God began to impress upon my wife and I for family life and We were very concerned about the spiritual deception that would come. Of course we were concerned about the physical safety and security, but these things paled in comparison to ideological threats. They paled in comparison to little errors that would seem okay and come in secretly introduced by demons At a Bible study, or at a church function, or in a friendship, or at school, or through a teacher, at any level of some schooling that the children were receiving. Some family at church that associate with Christ but don't belong to Christ some part of leisure and fun and subculture in the world, some ideology that Satan introduces into it in order to steal the minds and hearts of our young people. There was an urgency in my wife and I to insulate them with truth. And so I'm covering some of this ground to put into your mind that urgency. Remember I said at the outset that the church, the assembly of God's people, is a reinforcing agent. It reinforces as your children come alongside other children and families who believe the same things and who embrace the same things and who turn to God's word for strength and grace, and who listen and sit under the authority of the voice of Christ in his word, and who sing praises to God in the assembly, and who participate in the things that God calls us to and commands us to as a body of Christ. When children are swept up in that environment, the church and the assembly is a reinforcing agent for all the things that you're saying to your children at home when no one is around. It's difficult enough, isn't it? Parenting is a battle. It's an ongoing war. You're in a constant instruction mode, discipline mode, cautioning mode, coaching mode, warning mode, rebuking mode. You're in a constant seeking forgiveness mode for your own sin. This is the constant of the Christian parent's life in the family. You want reinforcement for that. You want a place where you can come and you've got in the body of Christ, Christians who have convictions, and when you're not around your little one, those parents will come to your children and say, listen, the trajectory, the direction, the hazard that is in front of you, stay away from it. Come away from that. Be separate from that. Yes, I know you don't like to hear it, but that's because what is inside you is a bent against truth. I'm here to love you enough and risk the relationship enough to say you must come away from that. You want that in the assembly, the reinforcement. And my wife and I saw the urgency of that early on, and we surrounded ourselves with people in the body of Christ. They didn't have to be at some mature level that was way out there, just honest, genuine lovers of the truth, mining out what God's word says and coming alongside us for encouragement. We sought them out. We sought out the aged. We sought out those that were younger so that we might put upon them a sense of urgency. We sought out those in our station of life who were dealing with the day-to-day things that we were dealing with. That's what we chose to do, and it became the drive of our life. Listen, beloved, you, if you're a part of Grace Emmanuel Bible Church, that is why God put you providentially in a place like this. Not so that you can decide for yourself where you're going to draw your strength, but so that you can hear over and over again, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might, and be at a place where that's going to be reinforced. And if you drift, you're going to be challenged. So many times, Christians get so offended when somebody comes alongside them and says, "Are you aware that that's not a good trajectory?" What? How could? How dare you? I'm a Christian. I have my GIBC badge. I go to this church. I'm a card-carrying GIB Seer. Why would you get offended at somebody in the body of Christ used by the Lord to come and give you a caution? That's a grace in your life. It's a grace in your children's lives. It's a grace in your grandchildren's lives. The first principles that we dedicated ourselves to in this stormy, Culture, blowing against family life with violent winds of satanic things. Those first principles we learned early on, we've been covering them. The first was that the family belongs to God. You remember that. The family belongs to God. He defines it, He tells us what makes it flourish. He called it the first unit of a community that would eventually grow out of it because, as Genesis said, when a man and a woman leave father and mother and come together a new family is created and in that unit there is then the desire to be fruitful and multiply and as children are given by God's grace then that new family unit is to set out to be custodians of the land and the place that they are given to influence the world for the sake of the glory of God that's how God has designed the family Therefore, he is the one who brings children into your lives. He is the one that gives the grace to minister to them. He is the one that helps you see wisdom and teach it and pass it on to children. He alone is the source of that wisdom, not the world, not your own mindset, not your own assessment of things. Only God. He tells us what a family is. He tells us what a family does. That's been lost in so many evangelical churches, there's a confusion about that, flirting with ideas that the family isn't what it has always been in a Judeo-Christian valued culture as ours once was. There has been confusion about what the family should be. Look, there is no new look at the family. There is no innovative way to look at the family. There is no different way it is defined. God defines it male, female, leaving father and mother, coming together in that bond, that indissoluble bond of the marriage relationship, and the two become one flesh. And from there, then they, if they're given children, they are to do what God says with those children because they belong to God. You don't get to do whatever you want to do and name the name of Christ and think you're faithful. The second principle just gripped my wife and I, and that was to teach our children to serve the church of Jesus Christ. You can't say you love Jesus and not love his bride. You can't say that you're a part of Christ and then not love to be around the assembly, the local visible expression of the invisible bride of Christ. You can't say the one and believe the other. We wanted our children to love Christ. So we wanted our children to see the bride of the Lord. The one whom he purchased with his own blood. And so we taught them not to treat ministry as lifeless routine, but as the center of our life. Everything we do centers around the people of God. Not just the Lord's Day when we worship, But the people of God, the assembly of God's people, the gospel that has drawn them together, our life centers around it. That's the most important thing. Souls matter more than the stuff that we get involved in as we live on this earth. Ministry is more than lifeless routine, we saw last time and we didn't want to leave our children ignorant of the doctrine of the church. You don't get to make this about style. You don't get to sort of grow up into the adolescent years and start picking and choosing what you think church ought to be. No, the church is defined in Scripture. It is the worshiping community to the glory of God, the community of believers. We saw this when we looked at 1 Timothy 3, 15, where in the household of God, we know how to conduct ourselves. We're with the redeemed people united to our head, Jesus Christ. He tells us what we are to do. His voice is the voice we listen to. The church is a repository of divine truth it's a mutually edifying ministry of the one and others. When our kids were little, we would say, you're going to have to learn to serve others if you're going to say you love Jesus. You need to obey the one and commands. How are you serving other people? How are you ministering to other people? And then, of course, as they were tested in the adolescent years, uh, how are they being an encouragement into Christ-likeness in their peer group? It's a disciple-making ministry. We want people to come to Christ and see them baptized in the name of the Lord. We taught them not to defy the authority of church leaders. We looked at that last time from Hebrews 10:25, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together which became the habit of some, the writer says, no, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Stir each other up to greater good deeds. Do people, having spent time with you, have a greater urgency to be like Christ? We used to say that to our kids all the time. You ought to be encouraging your children to not forsake the time with God's people. Say, well, my children are little and the activities sometimes seem rather boring. Of course, they're children. We don't set standards in the church by childlike things. Of course, children are bored when they don't understand all that's going on. Of course. The boredom of children does not define the church. Boredom of children is because their attention spans are childish. We don't dictate the activities of the church by that. Parents bring them along. You, you take what you can. You take in what you can. You ask mom and dad questions. But you're going to sit there because this will be your life if you give your life to Christ. And I want you under the voice of Christ. I want you under the law of God. I want you under disciples and shepherds who reinforce what we tell you. I want you under them. Under the word all the time. We taught our children not to grumble about people and problems. It's the habit of our life. We do it. We do it so easily, so fast. Parents do it. Children do it. We did it. We had to seek forgiveness for doing it. But we are to teach our children not to grumble about life in the church, but to love God's people. We told them not to disconnect serving Christ from serving the local body. Don't say you love Christ and want to serve him if you're not serving people. We talked about not prioritizing family leisure above ministry in the church. We talked about not isolating your home from the needs of the body. About excusing children's sinful conduct toward others in the church just because you're embarrassed about the need for them to grow and the the things that they do that are sinful. Don't excuse that behavior. Let the body of Christ come and do its wonderful reinforcing work. Don't hide your children from the brokenness of life in the church. The church is a hospital for sinners. People come to Christ and their lives are a mess and other broken people are being witnessed to. Let your children know and see the reality of the sin that destroys and the gospel that saves. We won't hide them from that. The third principle that became urgent to us, I introduced to you last time as well, and that was to fill your home with all the reminders of truth, right? Deuteronomy 6, we went to the Shema, the prayer of Israel, because in ancient Israel, that was the model that Paul would use then here in Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. That's the commandment, right? Honor your father and mother, the first commandment that had a promise, so that it will go well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And then verse 4, notice in Ephesians 6, don't, fathers, provoke your children to resentment and despair. Don't provoke them to that, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition, or other translations, the discipline and instruction, or the hemming in and the correction of the Lord. You bring them up in it. And so it became such a simple principle in our home that this is what we're always to be about. There's always going to be in our home the culture of our family life, discipline and instruction, nurture and admonition, hemming in and correctives. That is a way of life, right? Proverbs 6, disciplines for reproof are the way of life. We looked at Proverbs 6, how the truth argues with you uh, when you get up in the morning and it It speaks to you, your conscience throughout the day, Proverbs 6 says. And then it literally uh, settles you into your rest at the end of the day because you've heard truth all day long. Uh, It's like when you're a parent of little tiny ones, you're just on repeat. You're just constantly on repeat. You know what what the Bible says? Uh, You know what the Bible says? What does the Bible say? Didn't I just tell you? Oh, come here. Now we got to go get some discipline because you did, that's what God says. You must, I mean, you're on repeat all the time. Why? Because you're bringing them up. It's, a, it's on the dads by leadership command, fathers, and yet the mother is under the leadership of that dynamic in her husband's approach to it, and he is thinking in his mind, I and responsible to bring them up. That has been lost. Where are the dads bringing them up? Where are the grandfathers standing immovably? Even if they failed in the past and have a Trail of regrets. Where are the grandfathers who've said, don't have regrets like I had. Don't do it like I did. I completely abdicated my responsibility. Some of those men have to say, go to your families and say, don't do it like that. Do what the Lord says. Where are the dads? Where is the urgency? Louise and I used to talk a lot about the the great privilege it is to raise kids, but how fast it goes. <laughs> Did you marvel about how fast it goes? I, I know um, you moms that are in the zero to five-year-old age. It seems like a lifetime. Uh, but, but that's going to pass. And you already know, because if, if you think about it, you'll admit, man, they weren't infants very long. Wow, they weren't toddlers very long. Yeah, the terrible twos seemed like a lifetime. But all of a sudden, they're getting ready to go to school? They're five. And before you know it, it's a blur. They're ten. We used to tell uh, families, when they hit adolescence, it's a blur. From there, it's an absolute blur. And we used to remind ourselves, we get one shot. One shot. That thought went through our minds so often and dragged us right back here. And it dragged me right back to this verse, fathers, fathers. Do not provoke your children to anger. How do you provoke children to despair and resentment? By not teaching them the truth. Telling them they got to live under something, but not showing it to them. Not showing them how to live it. Not walking in it. Not seeking forgiveness when you don't walk in it. Not being a real Christian in the things of the truth and the difficulty of dealing with sin. Not showing them how to battle sin. That's how you drive children to despair and resentment. So he says, fathers, don't do that. Don't live in hypocrisy. Don't neglect them spiritually. Don't tell them one thing as this ominous authority figure in their life and then do nothing else. Don't do that. But you, by contrast, you take up the call, dads. Bring them up and do it with this in mind. Discipline. And instruction, nurturing discipline and admonition in the truth. What have we seen in evangelical culture? Abdicating dad's. Mom's desperate for some leadership or just taking over in her fears and insecurities. And children never knowing what the standard is. They are easy pickings. They'll get into their little peer groups even at any age, but particularly in the most difficult sort of adolescent years. And they won't have any convictions that mean anything solid. So it is fair game. They're fair game. And don't think for a moment you can protect them From all of that by an internet filter. What's inside of them is the problem. You did not lay the cement of the foundation for what would insulate them from the inside. They have to be able to regulate their conduct by precept and principle from God's Word, if they're going to regulate it at all by believing in Christ. It has to come from the inside. And if they didn't have a dad who was at the helm doing what he's called to do, or a mom who was dealing with the fears and insecurities for all of the struggles in her life, then what's going to happen to those children? They're wide open. They're like the naive of Proverbs 1 no filter. Whatever feels good, whatever feels most safe, whatever brings most pleasure, whatever fills my pride up, whatever it is, that's the direction I'm going. My wife and I were so burdened by just that simple principle in Ephesians 6 4, that it drove us because we get one shot. That's the challenge. And I raised four children and I have many regrets, of course, at not being faithful enough at this and other passages. But it's also true that I knew, my wife and I knew, that what we did passionately, the fires of that passion would tend to burn less hot in the next generation. that's what happens and so you have to put the truth in there so that it can get ignited fill your home with truth let your children see that you long for answers from God's word don't don't teach them by your example that you turn some other place for answers don't lose your discernment because you you sort of skip across scripture in your own life so often that you can't go any deeper and when the kids in your home get to some serious ideological issue being thrown at them from society at all ages, your answers really are nothing but surface. Don't do that. Dig into God's Word. Think about the battles your children will face. Prepare applications. Unfold verses. Read to know Ask the Lord to give you understanding as dads and moms from those scriptures to how to apply them to this child and this situation. Pray again with alertness. Come back to the scriptures again. Let the Spirit of God renew your mind with insight. But never let your children see anything but white-hot urgency. That's what Paul says here. You bring them up. And it shouldn't just be your idea of discipline or instruction, because he says the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's the Lord's discipline and instruction. It's coming from him. It's built on principles your kids can see. They can see that you're applying things that are based in the principles of God's word, that The applications vary, of course, and your kids won't always like it or even understand it. And when they raise their own kids, they may apply those passages different. But the passage doesn't change. It's immovable. Your kids can see that you're taking principles and you're putting it before them and saying, how will we apply this to this dilemma? To this friendship, to this teacher, to this ideology, to this thing coming down the pike, to this technology, to this toy, to this leisure, to this fun. How will we apply these principles to those things? Let your kids see that in you you are bringing them up proactively. They're not just in your home doing whatever. Family is a its own repository of truth. And then number four then is related to it. Be steadfast in the daily loving discipline of your children. Not just teaching them truth, but notice it says in the discipline and corrective instruction of the Lord. The discipline. Oh, the discipline. So discipline, if we just sort of uh, clear the decks for a moment and talk about what makes it so difficult to persevere, there are two reasons it's difficult to persevere. Number one, sin in your children will only be subdued by the grace of God. You say, well then, Pastor, what's the point? <laughs> if nothing I say and nothing I do has any power to subdue them, what's the point? God said you're his instrument. You say, but they're not subdued. God must do it. So one of the reasons it's hard to persevere in the daily loving discipline of your family life in the things of the truth is because the only thing that will subdue sin in the children that you have born, that God has given you, is the grace of God. His grace uses you as an instrument to bring the truth to bear upon their life. And then the way the truth transforms your life is the weight of what they see in front of them in the simplest form. The reason it's hard to persevere is because we, we don't like that arrangement. We want the power in and of ourselves to put it into our children. Don't you dare embarrass us. Don't you dare run off and be wicked. Don't you dare do all the, I'm going to put so much of human guilt on you. I'm going to put so much of the fear of ostracization in this house. I'm going to put so much fear in you of my personal grief over the way you sin against me as your parent that you're never going to do it again. That's that's what we do. You're not to do that. Your children are to see your immovability in the things of the truth and your humility under God's grace. God is the one who moves. It is the discipline of the Lord. You don't know what it's going to take for that child or you don't know what it's going to (laughs) take. Sometimes you get a child that's... um, Man, you just tell them what to do, and they go do it. Oh, it's so wonderful. They seemed like they were Christians at six months. They just (laughs) just ate their food at the high chair, and they just, every age, you just go do this. Yes, Mom, I'll go do it. Yes, Dad, I'll go do it. You're just like, man, let's send that child to Kids for Truth. (laughs) Yeah. They're going to get all the trophies. And you start filling your mind and heart up with, we're pretty good parents we got this down we got this pretty down listen you have no idea what's happening in that child that child isn't conforming to the gospel you you don't know that that child has found a comfortable lane a way not to upset you that child is going to have to come to a crisis of faith at some point in their young life And the Conformer is the family Pharisee pretty soon, telling on everybody else and all self-righteous, how hard was it for the Pharisees to see what they needed from Christ? The conforming child is not a cause for you to imagine great things. And then, of course, the Lord, if he gives you another child, sometimes humbles you, doesn't he? (laughs) Because you get that child who never wants to do anything you want them to do. And they're really stubborn in it. And the first child, you, you, were, you were teaching parenting classes. This is so good. We can persevere through this. I don't know why parents complain about it so much. We love parenting. And then that next child, it's like, I'm done in a week. What has It's not working. That's the first thing you come and tell the pastor. It's not working. Everything that the Bible says works for this child, but not this one. You don't know what's going on in that child's life. You don't know what it's going to take for that child to see their need. All you know is that you're the instrument in that child's life, and God promises to use it mightily. Steadfast, daily, loving discipline. Here's a few reminders if you want to know what you ought to be thinking behind that. These verses literally gripped my wife and I when we were young parents. They still do today. Proverbs 13 24. He who withholds his rod, listen to this, hates his son. Wow. How many parents have said, we don't spank? And they name the name of Christ. I tell them straight out do you know what Proverbs 13, 24 says? Because I know if I ask you right now, do you love your child? Oh, yes, we love our children. Proverbs says you're lying. If you withhold discipline from your child, which God commands. Discipline your son while there's hope and don't desire his death. Interesting, Proverbs 19.18 is there's an indication that the further you get down the road and you've let the delinquency of the human heart with which they're born uh, have its way, there's no hope after a while. God has to do some intervening at your prayers and your requests. Many of you parents are praying for that because you have wayward sons and daughters and you're praying desperately for them. Why? Because they got to a point where the grace of a parent in their life, they just threw it off. Proverbs twenty-two, fifteen. 15, we used to tell it to our children all the time. <laughs> Even when they would be so desperate and they would ask, why do I always do this? Why can't I obey? We would just say, foolishness is bound up in your heart. It's in there. It's not because of that friend that influenced you. Listen, beloved, don't believe for a moment what the human heart as a parent is tempted to believe, that my children are better than others, and when something bad goes down, it's always somebody else's child. That is foolishness on the part of a parent. Your children listen to that, and they will buy into that, and they will own that, and they will use that and manipulate people with that, and they will deny who they really are. Because you have helped them deny it. Don't do that. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. They're born with it. Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom. A child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Wow. Correct your son, verse 17, and he'll give you comfort. He'll also delight your soul say, Pastor, I can't do all that without becoming angry and impatient and weary and discouraged and spiritually stretched beyond what I ever thought possible. Yes, that is true. In fact, that's real Christianity lived out in your home, right? you're dealing with children and you're dealing with your sin and their sin in the walls of your home and it's an everyday battle. Yes, you're going to you're going to experience all of those things. But remember, your role is not to manufacture or force a sincere heart and changed conduct in your children. At the end of every day, even the days when you're pulling your hair out, at the end of every day, Your goal is to lay your head on the pillow, as we've said, with a clear conscience and a thankful heart, or at least a humbled heart and a broken heart over the weakness of the day, because the grace of God must move, and he's using you to do it day by day. So you spend every day striving to tirelessly serve Christ by giving your children the nurture and instruction of the Lord then your heart can settle. If that's what you've strived to do in your day, failures and all, that's what you were striving to do. You can be honest with your children to that. I strive today to give you nurture and instruction. It was clunky over here. It was weak over here. I failed over here, but we had some wonderful graces from the Lord, and that's what I was striving to do. So we're all going to go to bed and get some rest and live to battle another day but my heart is settled because those graces were given to me and I've pleased the Lord. He's growing you as a parent. These are the building blocks of family life. A parent who neglects what Paul says here in Ephesians, he's pouring accelerant on foolishness so pray for a lot of the abundant grace of God for a tender heart toward your children strive to discipline them in passion and not anger righteous passion don't neglect consistency for some cheap satisfaction of your personal comfort don't do it and by every means by every means Help your children look at the issues of their sinful heart behind their behavior. Don't grow weary in that. God uses that, and the fruit will be worth it. You're never going to look back without regrets. But even then, you know, my wife and I, the Lord used even the weaknesses we brought to family life to sanctify us. The the staggering thing about family life is that whatever you end up with in the end, God's perspective still brings to the Christian's heart a clarity and a settledness and even a joy. You say, I mean, Pastor, I messed up my whole family life. I didn't do any of the things that, that you're preaching about or that the word says. And the trail behind me is a mess. Yes. And now here you are in the grace of Christ. Saved and redeemed. And looking back at those things through the lens of Christ. And he is using it to sanctify you into Christ's likeness. So you can be useful now in a new way to others. There is no other joy like that joy. That is incredible that you get to look back and your regrets even become sanctifying graces. We're careful and urgent heading into it. We're praying for God's grace to persevere through it. And we bring that into the body of Christ for reinforcement. I want a church that will reinforce this and not constantly hit it and assault it and try to take it away from us. A lot of you folks who've come into our church recently are new. This is what our family ministries and legacy ministries and family life is all about. This is what our body life is about. If you came in here with some different parenting philosophy, and uh, I'm just telling you right now you're going to bump up against this in our flock because this is what we are committed to as a fellowship. And we encourage you to embrace it as fast and as urgently as you possibly can because this is what God's word commands. When we do this, guess what's going to happen? The light of this ministry, the assembly that gathers here, the light will become so bright in a culture Where the families are being not only tormented, but destroyed. And there's no way Satan will be able to get to the minds of our children. And our children are going to be the next generation of those who battle for the gospel. They're going to be the next light of the gospel. Prayerfully more powerful than we've ever been. Because the culture will be darker, so the light will be brighter if they stand. Beloved, this is what we pass to our children. Next time, for our final message, we're going to talk about worldly entanglements and distractions, how to deal with that. We're going to talk about time and valuable resources, and we're going to talk about how to guard your time alone as a family, how to build an environment where your family's a haven and peer groups don't become the automatic for your kids and so we say the wind's going to blow let it blow our families are going to be built upon the rock of Christ we're going to pray that he redeems our children Amen, and our grandchildren Lord save them so that, so that this great gospel work in a dying culture will will have its impact and your love for sinners will proliferate more and more souls redeemed Lord that is our prayer today imperfect as we are in family life this is our heart and so we pray that this would become hardened cement A foundation with spiritual rebar in the dads and moms and granddads and grandmas and that it would become the earliest and fieriest passion of those that are heading into family life or aspiring to it in the next season of life. Cause our passion for this to burn bright and And may it become a reinforcing community in our midst at Grace Emmanuel. We ask that you pour your grace out upon our little ones, our children. Keep us from the evil one, from the onslaught of all this godlessness that is seeking our children. May we insulate them with truth and by your grace. Save them. Redeem them, Lord. That's our prayer. We pray this for you, our Savior, in all your glory. Jesus Christ, the righteous, our chief shepherd. Amen.